Leaders all around the world are familiar with being caught up in the midst of a controversy. It's not an uncommon thing. But very few, except for a couple of notable exceptions currently, go so far as to actively court a confrontation. And it seems like that's what Jesus might be doing in this little story here. Because when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he knew very well what the rules were. It's not like he was ignorant that this was a new thing, the idea of not working on the Sabbath. There's no question that Jesus was schooled in the traditions and the rituals and the religious laws of his day. He knew that when he beckoned the bent-over woman, that even considering healing her was a breach of how they understood the Sabbath laws to operate. Most eyes would have been on him. There was nothing careless about what Jesus was doing. This was not an accidental event. He was acting very deliberately. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because there are other ways. I mean, even if Jesus was so moved by compassion that he thought this woman should really be healed, there are other ways that he could have done it. He could have um, acted discreetly. He could have noted the woman and then when the synagogue meeting broke up, he could have gone to her and said, just come over here for a sec, I'm going to heal you and done it out of the sight of everybody. He could have said to her, look, come back tomorrow and we'll sort this out. Those were very real options and like she'd been bound up for 18 years and another 24 hours wasn't going to make or break the situation. Jesus knew how to get away from the crowds to pray on his own. He wasn't held captive by the attention of the community. He could have done this more discreetly, and he chose not to. The only conclusion I can come to is that Jesus really wants this confrontation. All signs seem to indicate it. Now, you may have encountered people like this. I know I have. Um, It's particularly... um, occurs in children sometimes where there's a child that really wants to test the boundaries and they will push and push and push until they get the confrontation they're looking for but that's a kind of unconscious drive to find out where the safety rails are so it's not a a deliberate thing that they're doing and again even some adults who would like to start a little argument just to flush out where people's real attitudes are They usually do that not deliberately. It's kind of an insecurity drive and they find themselves just nailing the issues that people get really upset about and suddenly there's a bit of a thing going on. But Jesus is really aware. This is not some unconscious or subconscious drive. He's being quite deliberate. It was not simply a matter of uh, straightening this bent woman's back. He really wanted to straighten some thinking about what the law was really all about. So um, just put a pin in that for a moment, because just as remarkable as Jesus' very deliberate uh, courting of this confrontation is the way the religious authorities respond. I find this really quite remarkable. What would have caught your eye if you were in that scene? If you're in the synagogue and there's people milling around and there's a bit of teaching going on and then there's this obviously uh, crippled woman who gets miraculously healed. 
What's your first response? I would have gone, wow, a woman miraculously healed. <laughs> but the teachers of the law, the, the, the authorities, they don't see a person miraculously healed. They see another person breaking the rules. It's an interesting thing to pick up in the scene, isn't it? Like, how dare he heal this woman on the Sabbath? What, a, what an interesting thing to become the focus of this thing. A woman who has suffered significantly for a big portion of her life, bound up in this way, is set free. This is a genuinely wonderful occurrence. How could the authorities not celebrate this? They only see the breach of the rules. Their focus is somewhere else. Rather than an interest in the well-being of the people, they had become virtually myopic in this sense. Uh, the religious were focused on the law because that was really important to them. They could see almost nothing else. There was a, a religious uh, theological stream in that day that held that if every Jew, even just for one millisecond at the same time, obeyed the law perfectly, like we all know no one can obey the law perfectly all the time, but if everybody for the same millisecond obeyed the law perfectly, it would usher in the kingdom of God. That's what they believed. And in a funny kind of way, you'd have to say, well, that would be the kingdom of God if everyone obeyed God's law perfectly. But they were so caught up with the idea of obeying the law that that's all they could see in this situation. And they really don't know what they're about. They become blind to what the law was meant to be about. They'd really missed the point of their traditions. And just on a side note, uh, the first occurrence of the word sin in our Bible is in Genesis chapter 4, and it's a Hebrew word which is, I think I made a note of it, chatah. And it has its sense of missing the target, missing the point. That's what the first idea of sin was all about, missing the point. And um, I think Jesus sums this up in another passage in Matthew when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other things. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, a really little thing, but you swallow a camel. In other words, you really don't know what you're doing. You've missed the point. And this is um, an idea that uh, Jesus echoes frequently. When, and again, when he was up on the cross and people had just betrayed him and were crucifying him, and he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It wasn't some kind of uh, pious sentiment. He was saying they really don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're about. This is a pencil. We know about pencils? Just been to the stationery shop with my daughter yesterday. We love pens and pencils. We could go in there and just spend the afternoon looking at them and drawing with them and doing stuff. Now, I'm going to say more about that in a moment. The religious authorities were all about honouring God. They believed that the best way of honouring God was by keeping God's law, although not God's law strictly speaking, because 
God's laws are a bit vague and hard to really work out exactly what it means in the day-to-day life of things. So they decided to make the imprecise scriptures a bit more precise and give you some very clear dictates about what it looked like. So see this pencil? It's not actually a pencil, is it? It's a digitally generated projection on a two-dimensional screen of the image of a pencil. Nobody here could write or draw anything with this. It's not actually a pencil. It represents a pencil, right? But if you wanted to write something, that's useless. If, I, if you were hungry and I projected some pictures of nice baking from the ultimate Ultimo Bake Off, your stomach would not be satisfied. In fact, you'd probably get hungrier. <laughs> so this represents something, but it isn't the thing that it represents. It's not actually useful. It's the form of something whilst not having the same power as the thing that it represents. And the religious authorities offered an interpretation of God's law broken down into specific do's and don'ts, kind of like a moron's guide to righteousness, if you like. If you wanted to be righteous, do these things and avoid those things. And um, that's a little bit like the image of a pencil next to a pencil. Like a pencil you can actually do something with. But the way they were interpreting the law was not actually about righteousness in the end. By contrast, Jesus championed doing what was good and right amongst people. And nobody needs a tertiary law degree to know what good is. Isn't it interesting? We kind of do it instinctually, even with vulnerable animals. If the animal needs to drink, we will untie it and lead it to water because we know You've got to sustain the animal. It's kind of, we know how to do that sort of stuff at the most basic level. If the doing of righteousness stops you from doing that which is good, then the right that you think you are doing probably isn't righteousness at all. The Sabbath law was never intended to hinder people from caring for each other. It was about remembering and honouring God the weekly rhythm to help guard against getting caught up in the business and the busyness of life so that we would forget where all our blessings came from. That's what the Sabbath was really all about. And in the deepest of ironies, the religious authorities' efforts at remembering God had become so focused on their image of righteousness, the, the, the representation of it, that in the process they actually lost sight of God and lost sight of healthy relationships. And one of the key things that shows that up here, and it's a fascinating thing, is that when the authorities stand up to intervene in this situation, who do they attack? See, this person with the bent, the woman bent over, she'd come to worship at the synagogue. She wasn't looking for trouble. Jesus sees her. Jesus calls her over. Jesus heals her. And the authorities get up and say, don't come here if you're sick. Come at another time. And one of the things that you notice is 
when the most vulnerable are being blamed, it's probably not righteousness. It's probably not right. This is the classic coward move. Target the most vulnerable in the scenario, those who are sick and in need of healing, who just showed up for worship. For goodness sake, are they not allowed to come to the synagogue on the Sabbath for fear that some crazy healer might heal them? They are labelled unfaithful just for being there. The reaction of doing whatever the most uh, vulnerable demand is obviously no better because sometimes you have a reaction and the vulnerable stand up and say, well, we want to be healed, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's not a good uh, response either because that's also a self-serving impulse. It, it deflects from people taking appropriate responsibility for who they are and what they're about and offering appropriate care for people according to what they need. That's what righteousness is really about. See, the traditions that we inherit are designed to serve us. They've been preserved and passed on to us because they've been useful in guiding people in the way to do life well. And when it comes to Christian traditions, these are designed to usher us into the grace of God, into relationship with Christ. Whenever an observance of a Christian tradition moves us away from those traits that Jesus most clearly demonstrated, like grace, forgiveness, extravagant inclusion, disrupting truth, if we're moving away from those things, we are most likely pursuing an image of something, a representation that isn't really the thing at all, a mere projection of limited dimensions that no longer has the operative power of what it claims to be. So in a moment we are going to gather around this table, a very simple laid table this morning, and it has some traditional elements on it, a loaf of bread, a cup of juice, and we're going to share it together as the body and blood of Christ. It's designed to bring us into communion with Christ and the body of Christ. If it does that, it's doing its job. If you think it's doing anything else, you've probably got it wrong. Be sure to focus in the right place. These things are to guide us into an adept encounter with the grace and truth of Jesus. Don't be amongst those who miss the point. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you call us to yourself and set us free from anything that would bind us, that we might choose to follow you and bind ourselves in obedience to you, to the glory of your name. Amen.